So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. Advocacy, it's a big part of what we do as automotive professionals. Typically, technicians advocate with thorough and accurate inspections, and our advisors do this by helping customers understand what's really needed on their cars. But what if we took this concept to the next level? That's exactly what our guest, Rob Choicer of Choicer Automotive Services did. He found himself furious at the fact that so many people make poor financial decisions about their cars because of a lack of financial education, the lies told to us by society, and misconceptions about the nature of the car itself. So Rob built his entire shop model around actually helping customers gain freedom from the strap. The result is a thriving, profitable shop with raving, multi-generational customers who are actually financially better off because of his process. This concept is a game changer for our shops, our customers, and our industry. Stay tuned. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Thomas, how are you today? Doing great, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on board. I am super glad you're here, man. I, I think that what you have is very unique and the model that you bring is very unique and what you've been able to do with your physical location has been astounding to watch. So uh, I really think there's a lot of people that are going to benefit a lot from uh, from hearing your story. So I'm, I'm grateful you're willing to come on and talk about it. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. It is you know, unique and honestly, it all comes down to the people that we've been able to assemble as a team. You know, they're taking my vision and they're just running with it. Um, yeah. You know, the, it's really amazing what people are able to do with the right support and leadership. It's all about the team and it's all about the leader. It is. So we're going to deep dive into what you've been able to accomplish and give a lot of practical things that listeners can do uh, to really learn from what you've done. But for those that don't know you, my famous question, who are you? 
My name is Robert Choicer, and I started in the industry in 1989, but I kind of grew up around it between uh, my stepfather's three-bay Volkswagen shop and my grandfather being the general manager of a Toyota dealership. So I kind of grew up around both sides of it. Earliest memories, you know, going back probably three years old. And remember being uh, running around in brand new cars and then tripping through uh, airlifts that come out of the floor in the three-bay service station uh, with far saw and all the other smells that go along with it. So it's, it's very interesting when I've reflected back on where my roots came from. But, um, you know, I just enjoyed fixing things. And I remember fixing, you know, my friend's bicycles when we were, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And then my first true automotive project was my eighth grade science project, which was number one cylinder off of a Honda CVCC engine. And I still have it today. Uh, we use it as a prop. I'll go to elementary schools and get kindergartens or third grade. We visit both those classes, uh, breathing like an internal combustion engine. And it's really fun to watch them do that. But uh, my stepfather helped me do that and then ultimately taught me the Honda automobile and got me involved in the trade right out of high school. I think one thing that stands out to me uh, when I speak with you, you know, about the industry is just your absolute passion for it. Do you feel like that that passion came from those early years? Like where, where does that passion come from? Because I mean, you've, you know, we'll get into it more, but I mean, you have a heart to absolutely transform the industry. So I believe that it, truly became a passion when I enjoyed helping people. And as I developed more school skills, you know, that even started with fixing bicycles. That was helping my friends. And then when I got to understand automobiles and could help people with their automobiles, then I was able to help people on a whole different level. And then it wasn't just helping them individually, it was helping them and their families. And as I learned more and more, um, I just realized how I love solving the challenges that are presented when you end up with a car in your bay. So when did that passion and, and that desire to help, like when did it click for you, I should open a shop? Like I say, I started at the dealership in 1989 and worked there for about six and a half years and then left that dealership and went to another Honda dealership and ultimately became a platinum certified master level technician. So I achieved ASE master and platinum level with Honda um, and helped you know numerous people along the way, started a family. And when I realized how impactful what I did was on families, and how much of a difference it made for my family, um, I guess that's really where it started to solidify that I had a lot of um, a lot of skills that can help people bigger than I realized. It wasn't just about making money. It was truly about helping people. Um, then I went and started a uh, dealership in a new market as the shop foreman. They recruited me there, and I went through. That was really my first leadership role. Um and I didn't know what I didn't know. I would probably was a horrible leader because I, I'm a driver. And, you know, if you can't do it fast enough or well enough, then I'll do it. And that's not a very successful way to lead people, much less scale anything because you, uh, you are the ceiling. You know, there's only so much of you to go around and only so many hours in a day. 
So ultimately, um, after about two and a half years there, I realized that that dealership was much the same as many others. And most people involved in that environment become numbers. And uh, I was given a lot of my time that I wanted to give to my family to that dealership. So ultimately in 2006, started my company as a diagnostic company that would go out to visit other shops and other, you know, and then people at their offices or homes and do diagnostic work and pick up the cars and take them back to my home shop. Um, but you asked, where did the passion come from for where I, how we approach cars now? When I went to buy my first house and I realized that being around the new cars all the time and buying a few new cars and ending up with negative equity in these cars changed my ability to buy the house that I desired because you only have so much resource and when so much of it's going to your automobile, you don't have as much to go to your actual home. And that was a big deal for me. That was a big wake-up call that I was making poor decisions and they were impacting my progression through life. And through that, um, I grew, I paid off that negative equity in cars, um, ultimately built my second home and um, moved on from that. But that pain point of because of car debt, it changes your trajectory as you start your family and you go to buy your first home and you're trying to create the American dream. It all ties back to, for me, and then ultimately, as I've reflected on it more, for the American public at large, many, many people are influenced, impacted, or derailed by the financial burden of automobiles, whether it be new car purchases and depreciation or car repairs that aren't done to a standard so they don't last or being deceived because they didn't know enough and they just made poor decisions. Um, and there's a better way to do that. There's a better way to educate people. There's a better way to treat people. And there's a better way to enjoy the freedoms that a car provides without taking all the losses that's going to stop you from moving forward with your life. So Rob, you're, you're having this realization that, uh, you know, yourself and so many other people are, are really in this situation where they have a car and this car, this thing that they have to have is really because of the way that society is a large deals with credit, with equity, with, uh, you know, how much something is worth or not worth and whether repair or not, you're seeing this huge need for this to be rethought. I think it's really cool that you took that, that thing that you found is needed in the market and you really turn it into a model for your shop. So, you know, how did those two things get birth? Actually walk us through like, here's this problem. How, is your shop designed uniquely to solve that problem? So 
the foundation is we look at every car with longevity in mind. And then we have conversations with the customer about the current condition, how much life we believe is left in it, and what it's going to take to make, get it there. You know, most people end up in your shop, either you already have a relationship with them or they're divorcing some other shop because they lost confidence in that shop and in their automobile. Well, when people lose confidence in a shop, they go to another shop. When they lose confidence in their automobile, they buy another automobile. Because what they can't lose is the freedom that the automobile provides them. And they'll compromise their finances to maintain that freedom. That's the cusp. So when we can give them back confidence and then show them a pathway to eliminate the pain that they're feeling and then get them back on the road of life, they can go through their daily activities without the worry of breakdowns, unexpected costs, or having to replace their vehicle prematurely. Let's talk specifics. What is your process? I'm new to you. Like, why, why does your shop solve this problem that myself and so many others have? We treat it more like a, um, a doctor assessment or a emergency scene assessment. You always get baseline vitals when you go to the doctor. If you go and you get called out as an emergency technician to an emergency scene, you always do a scene size up. What do we have? What are the people telling me? And then what's our approach? What's our plan? So every car that comes in, we do an inspection on it. But on top of the inspection, we have documented what's good and what's bad. So it creates a continuity across our team. And that continuity allows people not to have to ponder so much what's good and what's bad. We've already predetermined what's good and what's bad. You know, when do you replace things? When do you bring it to customers' attention that it's going to be replaced in the future? When do you just say, this is good? And when you have that pre-established, then the customer can count on it. But more importantly than that, your team can count on it. They don't have to use so much brain space figuring out how do we identify or address this. We've already established that. So you're saying it's like, I mean, because everyone does, you know, some sort of an initial inspection, or at least hopefully they are. You know, we got to give people an idea of what they're driving. But it sounds like you are really taking it uh, to a much deeper extent in that you have established predetermined vital signs for all these different components and your team knows centrally if this component is in this spec or this spec, then it is good or bad. Is that is that correct? Correct. Walk us through that a little bit deeper. Like, are those things set by you? Are they from manufacturer specs? Because I, I think this concept's really interesting for a lot of people, especially if they are more in a specialty shop, even if they're not. But, you know, they intimately know some of these, these vehicles and they know generally, or at least a good technician does, you know, what these things need to look like. Why did you feel that it would be even more beneficial to have a centralized thing that the shop has, uh, a centralized 
uh, standard versus uh, maybe what a technician would bring to the table? So when you, so I joined ShopFix and started getting coaching and my team fell apart. So I ended up going back into the service bay. And when I went back in the service bay, I had to figure out how do I serve all the clients that have been coming to us consistently so they don't always have to talk to me because I can't stay in the shop or else we're never going to be able to serve more people. You know, this, the ceiling on me is I have 24 hours in a day. But if I can duplicate me, then all of a sudden we can serve twice as many, three times as many, 10 times as many customers and provide the same level of service that seems so successful to the people that were working with us. So when I had to go back in the shop in July of 2018, um, I got an apprentice. And it was actually a female apprentice who was a STEM student. And we worked side by side. And I taught her 25 years of automobile service in about six months' time. So every car we toast drove together, every car we looked over together, everything we did, we documented. And then we came up with standards of when would I recommend it? And then I had, because she's an apprentice, we had to discuss why. And when you dig down to why we would recommend it here, then all of a sudden there's a, there's a process, there's a recipe. So then what we've done since then is as we've hired your know, master level technicians in the interview process, we say, this is what we do. You, do you agree, disagree? And if you do, why? And what would you change? And so now it's, everybody's on the same page. Everybody understands, you know, let's take it to Chick-fil-A. Everybody understands how we cook our chicken sandwich. And they're all in, on board with the ingredients of it. So then when you understand how you're going to cook your chicken sandwich and you agree with what the seasonings are going to be, then all of a sudden you can make that chicken sandwich over and over and over and over again with consistency that the customer can then count on with double lanes around every one of your restaurants, regardless of where you put it. There's so many ways to do auto repair. So anybody can say they can fix cars. Anyone can watch a few videos and be able to talk somewhat intelligently about certain systems of a car. Sometimes customers who are car people will have researched systems deeper than your best technician diagnostician knows it because it's theirs and they are passionate about that car they bought it. We'll figure it out. We'll research it before we work on it. We have the resources, but there's very few people that read an entire library's worth of books until they get passionate or it's brought to their attention that they need to read this. That's the automobile industry. I mean, the, the average car is 13 years old. Well, if that's the average, that means we actually have probably 26-year-old cars that are still driving around. Well, I'm sorry, 26-year-old cars, there's cars on the road that still have carburetors, cars on the road that still have points and condensers and sling weight advances. It's very, very difficult to understand all the changes, all the complexities, and have it top of mind at any given day, especially if you're going to be more than a specialty shop. If you're a specialty shop, you can keep a lot more things top of mind, back of hand knowledge. 
But if you're going to work on more things, they all have the same components, but they're definitely assembled differently. They're definitely assembled with different sizes and torques and everything else. You have to be able to have resources and do research to work on a modern modern automobile. So as you're creating or have created these standards for your shop, where are you getting those markers from? Is it you from your experience? Do your techs be involved? Do you work with manufacturers? How does that work? It's mostly experience and seeing the failures that come into the shop. You know, everything we do is premised to get longevity out of a piece of equipment without the customer ever losing confidence in it. When you lose confidence in something, it's lost. It's like if you lose trust, it's lost. It's a whole lot harder to regain trust and regain confidence than it is from the onset. So if we never allow the customer to lose confidence then we never have to rebuild it and they just continue to drive that vehicle with confidence as if when they bought it brand new. That's where you get past the mindset of my car is seven years old, it's out of warranty, I get my first big bill, I need to replace my car. Now we can talk about you're at 10 years old, yes, you're at your second major maintenance platform. But if we do it, we can pretty much guarantee you'll get another five years out of it without any breakdowns. You know, their cars are built very well now. And if they're maintained well, they will last. I mean, like I said, the average is 13 years old. Our threshold is 15 years for customers because they can get their head wrapped around that. You know, you go through a lot of life changes in 15 years, especially in the first 50 years of your life. But then if you think about, you know, okay, how does this process and plan play into the new technologies that are coming out in automobiles, the electric cars, batteries? Well, how long are batteries supposed to last? They're said to last 10 years. Well, if you put a new good battery in at 10 years, not a recycled, not a replace one cell on the battery, but put a new battery in it. Well, that drivetrain should last you 20 years. So now we have an automobile that's the tool automobile for your life, not the toy. You know, when you become affluent and you have extra money because you didn't lose it on automobiles, now you can buy a toy car and you can do whatever you want to do with it. But your tool car, the one that actually provides the freedom, gets you back and forth to work, to school, transports your kids, takes you on vacation, takes you to church, takes you wherever you need to go, the hospital, to, you know, across the country because you have to go visit a loved one. Or you just want to go on an adventure. Your tool car needs to be sharp. We used to be taught to keep our tools sharp. And then somewhere in the retail change of automobiles, we've been... We've become consumers. We've become retail consumers of automobiles. And what do retail consumers do? They consume. And they consume product, but your car, I'm sorry, it's the second largest purchase you make. It can't be a consumable, yet we still treat it that way. And I believe that we should do it different. 
I imagine that there is a ton of customer education that is unique to your shop that maybe doesn't happen in a shop that doesn't have this level of organization when it comes to this this process. So, you know, if I'm a customer and I bring you my, you know, whatever, 2019, you know, Acura, whatever, um, walk me through, like, I'm a brand new customer. How do you help me regain confidence? What is the actual um, onboarding and sales process for that? We meet everyone where they are. Like I say, they're typically divorcing some other shop. Maybe a 19, they're divorcing the dealership. It's just out of warranty, and they're looking for someone else that's going to take care of their vehicle because they're not quite sure what to do with it. They just know it's not under warranty yet. So we discuss that we're going to do our enduring confidence evaluation. And we actually have, you know, we have trademarks that are, you know, surrounding what we do. And um, so we, we're going to do our enduring confidence evaluation for you. And it's going to come back and we have pictures and we have documentation of the condition of your car. Luckily, now there's lots of platforms that will do a DVI. But when I started the company, like I said, I would go and pick vehicles up. Sometimes I never even met the customer, but I would send them digital pictures. And this was back in 2006. We didn't have all these platforms and we barely had high-speed internet. So, but customers love that. It built a trust off of transparency. So when a customer comes in, they meet the team. It's friendly. It's clean. It's orderly. It's very small. I mean, our shop's less than 2,100 square feet. And yet customers come in there and they're blown away by the experience. Um, and it's so much larger than me. It, it's, found, it's founded in me, but it's the team that provides the service that the customers are experiencing now. Um, and then we have a, a small waiting area that, is quiet. It's away from the shop slightly, so they don't hear the sounds or the smells of the environment. Yet they are close enough to where we can show them if they're waiting. But the the transparency of this is what we're going to do, and then we provide that and educate them as we go over what we found, whether that's virtually, whether that's in person, and we do that every time. The interesting thing is now, if we don't follow all the steps, the customers that have become accustomed to it will point out, hey, what about this? Or did are we going to go over that? Can I have my inspection? As you grow, little things are going to hit the floor. Little things will fall through the cracks. But you've conditioned your, your customers to expect this and they trust it and they value it and they're going to want to receive it. So you've really created, um, you've created this process that is, is as much a part of the shop as any staff member. It is the, it is its own entity within the shop. This, this, you know, almost 
sort of like a patented process that you've developed. Correct. And I love the fact that your customers, you've done such a good job of educating them on the benefits of this process and the benefits of consistent maintenance that you know they're calling you out if they're not getting what they need because you've really helped them see the need for this. Correct. Um, when you have a new customer come in, I mean, you know, anybody listening who's been a service advisor or owner that's worked at the counter or whatever, you know, there's different types of customers that come in have different needs. You know, some people are just, hey, you know, I just want a quick oil change. I don't have time for an inspection, all that. How do you get everyone to consistently go through your process? Because um, your process isn't quick. I, I know that that your your onboarding process takes a, a, a little bit of time. How do you make that something that's accessible for everyone? Or do you? We instill that this is our process and show the value behind it. And if they are adamant that they don't have time, we'll put three people in their car if, we, if necessary so we can still do the process so we don't downgrade what we do, yet we still meet them where they are. That builds integrity in your team. It builds integrity in your process. If you compromise the integrity of what you do, then it's no longer what you do. It's what you did. It's what you intend to do, but it's no longer what you do. So, you know, you can have 10 of the best individuals in the automotive space. And if they all look at the same car, you're going to have 10 different evaluations. They may be close, but they will be different. And they're different because each one of those 10 individuals come from a different environment. They bring all of their yesterdays to today. But they're there yesterdays. When you bring all these yesterdays together for a unified cause to deliver a process consistently, now you're building, you're standing on 10 people's um, opinions, evaluations, and experiences, and you're bringing that to your clients. That's where making sure everybody's on the same page. And if we need to adjust, let's adjust. But then once you're here, this is what we do. So how does that work when you bring someone in? I mean, it's you, you've got this really specific process. It's very unique to the shop. There's a lot of things that are, you know, there are similar things that other shops do, but you've really dialed yours in um, to a point of, of a, I would call it a, a healthy rigidity to make sure that you know you're not deviating. You, but you bring a technician in who has a set way of doing things, or an advisor who's been in the industry for years. How do you get them on fire for this process? So I don't know if you've ever heard of the book "Good to Great" with Jim oh, yeah. Collins, and Jim Collins talks about the flywheel effect and the inertia that a flywheel has. So when you bring the right person on. You discuss what you do ahead of time, and they want to join your team because you were open and transparent. They hit that flywheel, and it just builds inertia. The right person, even if they say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I believe in it, I want to be a part of it, when they hit that flywheel, it slings them off like a merry-go-round. 
because they aren't truly believing the process. They're just wanting to be a part of it, but they're not doing their part in it. And we, I'll never forget, um, you know, Shop Fix has been instrumental in me and getting me to become a better leader. You know, their motto is fix the owner, fix your shop. Well, one of the lessons that was taught was the chain of business. And I'll never forget the, the lesson because you have all these different links in the chain. And this chain wasn't linked back to itself. This chain was just a length of chain. So you walk down the links, you inspect every link of the chain, you get to that end, you walk back, you inspect every link of the chain. And that's every step of the processes in your business. I took it one step further and I linked the chain back together because we don't want the chain to end. We don't want the relationship with the employee or the customer to end. We want it to be cyclical. And when it's cyclical, there's a continuation of the process. There's just pauses in the middle when the car is in service and then it comes back to us. So I went and I bought plastic chain and I bought it in three different colors. So one section is white, the next section is yellow, the next section is black, the next section is yellow, the next section is black, and then it gets back to the white section. So the white section is a clean section. It comes in clean, it leaves clean. This is the customer's key fob. That's kind of the baton in this relay race of car repair. So they drop off their key and it's clean. And then it goes through the yellow inspection process. Then it gets to the black shop process. Then it comes back up front to the yellow estimate and sales process and goes back in the shop for the black repair process. And then it goes through QC and it comes back clean and white again. And we talk about each link in the length of that chain is all the different steps that have to happen in that process, in that phase of the relay race. And I have, you know, we talk about it openly in the shop. We have links cut in the different colors and the different areas of the chain. And everybody will hold the chain, we get in a circle and you back up and you put tension on the chain. And all of a sudden one of the chain links breaks, pop. Now we've just identified what the weak link in that section of the chain is. And we talk about it, we identify it, and we try to correct it so that we don't always have to hit that same obstacle again. We eliminate it if possible. We'll modify it if that's the only thing we have to do. Or we recognize that that's an obstacle that we can't get around and we build it into our process that this is our obstacle. But you... As you do this and everybody on the team's on board with it, it adds enormous efficiency to the overall organization and it builds integrity with the team. Because everybody understands if if I do my leg of the race and the bolt breaks, but the leg of the race before that was done efficiently, now I have a little bit of extra time to fix that broken bolt. If my bolt doesn't break and that goes smooth and it gets to the next part and then in QC we realize, oh, wow, we left a a greasy fingerprint. So we have to do a little more cleanup. 
well, we want to go ahead and do a full clean on this car or it needs an extra extended test drive to make sure that it goes through its readiness test on the, on the computer system. We have time there, so it still gets delivered to the customer on time. But if everything goes as planned and we do everything early, well, now we just over-delivered. So the customer gets more than what they anticipated. If you do this as the regular, then if everything goes wrong and you have to call the customer up at four o'clock and say, Mrs. Jones, we're so sorry, but we're going to have to keep your car today and maybe the next day because this part just isn't available and the only one we had broke. You have so much goodwill built in because you've provided and over-provided as your consistent um, expectation to the customer. Now, they don't bat an eye. They say, well, thank you so much. I'm glad that you can take care of it for me. Let me know when it's done. You know it's super inconvenient. It's super stressful for the team. But because you've built all this goodwill in, now you're able to navigate that without it being super stressful. Yeah, what's what I'm getting a lot of clarity on right now is that you've actually built your shop's internal culture around this process. Yes. Everything goes back to this process, whether it's training, onboarding, customer experience, sales, repairs, all of it, it goes back to the chain. And if we're following the chain, then we're good. And if we need to change change the chain, that's fine, but we're going to do it together. We're all going to be on the same page. We're following this change. And I love the word that you keep using and it creates integrity because I think that, you know, as as my mission and, and your mission and so many other, you know, mission of people that we talk to is we want to change the industry. And integrity is not something that auto repair has been known for in our past. And so being able to really have that become something that we are, you know, absolutely capturing with what we do uh, is game changing. And um, I, I'm curious how that affects your ability to have employees stay with, stay with you for a long time, uh, be bought in. Does that process and that level of integrity that you send to the customer, how does that play into your employee culture? Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust leads near me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. So the, the hardest part is initial buy-in, but you do that in the interview process. The Prior to that, the hardest part was the change. You know, getting this established, growing into a process from an industry that doesn't have processes like this. So it's, you know, change is uncomfortable. And if you're in a production shop, change, sometimes you have to step backwards to move forwards. And that's difficult 
for people to get their head wrapped around. But when they realize that every change creates more efficiency and more continuity and ultimately more integrity in the process, now you can build upon that. Um, but the it's painful when you start implementing this level of consistency because there's so many variables in all motive. If you think about it, what is when you, you have a new car that's delivered to a dealership, that's the ultimate integrity of what that car was supposed to be from design. It may have warranty issues. It may have things that they're testing in the market before they can change or understand, you know, this isn't going to play out well in the market. But that's when everything's new, when that car's at the new car dealer just come off the assembly line. Toyota would stop their entire assembly line as soon as they identified they had an issue in the field. And they would fix it on the assembly line so that all the cars that were on it and all the cars that were starting on it would be fixed so they didn't hit the public before they corrected that issue that was identified in the field. Other car manufacturers wouldn't. They would just let the line keep on running and they would fix it at the dealerships or they'd fix it in the field. If you identify issues and you fix them right now, well, they don't continue. But you have to make sure that everybody understands we don't want these issues to continue because if they continue, we continue to hit our head against the same obstacle. If we hit our head against the same obstacle, we start to get a headache. If we have a headache, then all of our communication, all of our posturing, all of our activity is done in a state of pain. And when we have a state of pain, we don't act the same way as when we don't. Um, it adds, you know, just a whole other stress to your life when you're dealing with pain. You know, the, the foundation is you have to have buy-in from your team to create a consistent process. When you create a consistent process because you have buy-in from your team, your customers begin to count on that, and that builds trust and confidence. And they're building trust and confidence in you, and it plays down to their automobile. It's like, I'm sorry, but ShopFix, they give out confidence and hope. Free. Interest-free. They fill you up. When a customer comes in, they're depleted. And we give them that confidence back and they take it back home to their family. It's that simple. Our job is to provide confidence to the customer that they've lost some time between when they bought that car and when they brought it to your shop. And if you do that consistently with a process that they can gain respect for, and realize that you're really here to be their car's advocate and that you really want them to be the hero with their car, they make you the hero in the community. So let's take that a step further. Uh, you've, you've built this incredible process. You've rallied your team around the process. 
Now, when your customers come in, you rally them around the process. This is how we take this car from being something you recycle every you know few years, or something that you're scared to service, or you know whatever car pain you have. Here's how we get you to where you want to be. We've taken the guesswork out. It's really simple. Here's what we're going to do. And you've you've built that trust and that confidence. What does that look like over time? How long do your average customers stay with you? What's your average ticket look like? You know, what what what's your new to return ratio? Like, how does this process really affect the customer um, experience and customer longevity with you? We have customers that are approaching a half a million miles on their cars that are original, completely original drivetrain. Uh, yes, catalytic converters, timing belts, water pumps radiators, but the engine and transmission, it's all original. Differentials, it's all original. It's done through maintenance. Change the fluids. It's so simple, it's almost boring. But we all know that maintenance is cheaper than metal. When you talk that way with your customers, they can get their head wrapped around it if they trust you. If you have integrity because you always talk this way, then they can count on that. And then you also have to have, well, when is it time? Well, it's time when you've been in a bad accident and it wasn't put back together you know, with integrity. It's time when it starts to get rust. And it you start identifying rust. And then you watch that rust progress because you're taking pictures of it. And then when it's rusty to the point that it's compromising the vehicle's integrity, now it's time to replace it. And you don't ignore that. You have to be transparent about it. And then when you are, you don't compromise the trust. How can we truly affect mainstream motoring public? Not the people that can afford the $100,000 car. Not the people that can't have a car at all. The, the people that truly need their cars. And if we can help them not lose money in their car and then inspire them through our help to them to help other people, how many people can we help? You know, each one of us has a um, a duty to truly serve our community. We start with serving our team. And if we inspire our team through our service to them, they will serve the community. And if you serve the community, they will serve their community. And all of a sudden, you've just touched many, many, many more lives than you ever dreamt possible. You reach as farther than you see. If nothing else is heard or remembered from this episode, I think that right there would be an incredible takeaway. Your your heart as a leader, Rob, and what you've developed and what you're instilling in your team so that they can be that light in their community and in their realms of influence, it's incredible. Rob, one thing that we, we alluded to in the beginning of the episode that we haven't dove into that I'd like to like to talk through a little bit is, you know, it's one thing to have a great process and, and have a huge space, but you have a tiny space. <laughs> so, 
so let, let's talk some practical things. I mean, you've got a process that's not a quick process. Um, you have very exacting standards. You know, you, you've got this thing really dialed in. How does the space lend to or create difficulty in what your model is? How has that worked for you? First, a small space is remarkably challenging, yet expressly rewarding. Nothing gets hidden, yet everything's in view. And what I mean by that is, if you leave a wire harness lay on the floor or some rotors that you replaced, they can't lay on the floor. All of a sudden, you're tripping on them. If you need to walk a customer into the shop, well, they're walking through everybody's bay. So you can't have a spill because then it's it's an issue. It's a, it's a, it's a hazard. So when you talk about eliminating hazards for your team and for your customers, and you do so, all of a sudden, people aren't walking an extra five steps every time they have to walk around whatever they left in the middle of the floor. Well, if you do that multiple times a day, you gain an hour in your day. And then you can show three more customers their cars because you're not embarrassed to bring them in the shop. You just are comfortable walking them in the shop. And then that customer says, I can't believe how shop, how clean your shop is. And then they go to dinner with their neighbors and they say, I went down to this little shop. It was so clean. They walked me out. They showed me exactly what's going on with my car. And I, I just had to buy it because it made sense. And then when I got it back, my car felt like brand new. So not only were you transparent and you showed them, you explained it in a way that it made sense. You gave it back and they felt a difference. Well, they, they don't even talk about price. There's so much value built in there. Price is the, the least thing. It just becomes about time. And then if you do this over and over again, your team gains time. They get more efficient. Their paycheck goes up. Their paycheck goes up as a result of them gaining time. Your customer got their car serviced. They got it under, you know, they understood it timely because you were able to walk them out there. You didn't have to spend 20 minutes drawing things on a piece of paper and none of us are artists. They, they saw it. So you gain time there and then you get them home. You give them a shuttle ride home or, you know, if you have loaner cars, you give them a loaner car. You're saving them time. So if you save your employee time and then you save your customer time, you gain time and time is money. You know, like I said, you can always make more money, but we only have 24 hours in a day. And all of us in life, we only have so many 24 hours that we're going to get anyway. So the most, the best use we make of them, the more money ultimately you can do and acquire. And if you deploy that properly, then it will multiply. Um, and you can leave it for a legacy. You can give it to your church. You can invest in whatever you want to invest in. But if you don't ever acquire it, then you don't ever have that ability. 
you know, the way I've grown and run my business, I told you I started it with $1,000. Every time we got a little bit ahead, I invested back in the, into the shop, into this small space. My team, they actually made a joke of it. It's called Shop Rotates. You know, so, okay, let's pull things out and let's put them back where they need to be instead of where they currently are. But when we do that, everybody's critically thinking about, okay, where's the best place for this to go? And if it gains us, each member of the team, five minutes, and you have 10 people on your team, well, you just gain 50 minutes in your day. And through doing this practice over and over and over again, we've been able to go from when I joined ShopFix, I think we were somewhere in the six or $700,000 realm of revenues with a, a tall ceiling aspiration of maybe I could get this shop to produce, you know, to serve you know, 2,000 customers a year and maybe get to a million dollars. Well, now we're serving close to 3,000 customers a year and approaching 1.8. With three bays. With three bays. I, I'm getting a real sense for bigger picture, like how things are working in your shop from what you're explaining. And, you know, it's this integrity is a huge part of it. But then there's this how can I multiply the resources I have? And so I love the fact that instead of looking at your shop as square footage, you're looking at your shop as time. How can I extract more time out of this space? When we think about it that way, I love that little shift because when we are looking at, at auto repair, I mean, we are a time-based business. We bill in hours by thinking about this space in terms of how can I extract more time or how can I make it more time efficient? You've been able to really hack your size and make it produce numbers that you know are, are not super easy to produce out of a shop your size. So I and especially you're not even Euro. I mean you're you know you're doing American Asian, which you know generally you know a lot of cases has a lower ARO, but your model also produces a higher ARO. Is that correct? Correct. What's yep. your current ARO typically? Um, between six fifty and seven hundred. You know, we were yeah. before all the inflation, we were closer to six six and a quarter. If you think about a customer is going to see you twice a year, if your ARO is six fifty, they're spending thirteen hundred dollars a year in your shop. That's hundred and eight dollars a month. Well, the average car payment is over six hundred dollars a month now for a new car. If you can take care of customers' car for hundred and eight and get them a year, two years, three years instead of 600, how much can that change their life? If the average car right now, the average new car is $40,000, and we know that when they sign and drive their car off the lot, they lose it 20%. They're losing $8,000 when they drive it off the lot. Everybody. That's on the average. It's not the $80,000 car. It's not the $60,000 car. This is a $40,000 car. It's not the $20,000 car. It's going to be less there. But, you know, the average new car is forty grand. Well, 20% of that they're going to lose when they drive it off the lot, if they went to trade it in. If they sold it on their own on the market, different numbers, 
And you always have to put these caveats in there because people will poke holes in it. But 20% is the average. Well, $8,000 divided by 60 months is $133 a month. So anything less than $133 a month that you charge a customer, you're saving them just their initial depreciation on a new car. Yeah, and that's not even factoring in all the other it's things. It's not factoring in payments. Yeah. It's not factoring in insurance and escalations. So if your ARO is 650, how much money are you truly saving your customer? And how much are you benefiting your team? And how much are you benefiting your community and society? This doesn't mean don't buy new cars. There's always a time to buy a new car. But when you buy a new car, the only way to get back that 20% you just lost is through length of service. So yeah. just go into it with a length of service mindset. Talk to your customer about a length of service mindset and start saving them money. And I guarantee you, if you do this consistently, you will make money because many people don't talk about it this way. You're really creating a advocacy for your customers through your process. It's there's so many benefits to the model that you're doing. There's so many things that that are a win for you, the employees, the customers, the community. Um, so I, I think that even if someone could take a couple of things from what you're doing and plug it into their shop, I think it would be, you know, huge uh, payoffs all around. Um, when you talk to their owners, I mean, what are a few things that everyone can easily plug into their shop from your process that can help give them some of this benefit? I think the first step is sit down with your team at lunch. Go through your, your inspection, whether it's paper inspection, DVI, whatever your inspection is. Sit down with your team and bring integrity to your team. Bring integrity to your shop. When is this bad? When is it going bad? That we need to tell the customer, hey, it's going bad, but it's not bad yet. And when is it good? And if you establish those parameters in your shop, your shop will become more cohesive and more efficient. It's so impactful. And it's really so easy. I truly believe that people lose entirely too much money with their cars. It impacts so many other areas of their life that they don't even consider. It accumulates into consumer credit card debt that you carry with you for a very long time. And every automobile and every person that is driving them has more in them than they believe. And they can achieve bigger things if they make better decisions. I have one more very important question for you, Rob. You already know the answer. Well, but everyone else needs to hear it. <laughs> if you were a car, what kind of car would you be? It would have to be a Honda. And Which one? It would either be an Accord or an Odyssey. And... For the simple reason, they just work, just like this process. It just works. 
And when it just works, you can go about and explore anything you want to do in life with yourself and your family. I'll leave you with that. Honor to have you on the show, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Thomas. That was my interview with Rob Choicer. I want this show to serve and impact as 